welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Just two years ago, Javier Baez was a top 10 player in Roto and a top 15 hitter in points leagues. Why no love? We'll try and get to the bottom of this today. Happy Monday, Fantasy Baseball today. I am Frank, joined by Adam, Scott, and Chris. Uh, Chris, I know that you enjoyed a snowstorm much like I did in New York this past weekend. Yeah, yeah. I went out for a bike ride on Saturday. That's something I'm trying to do. Uh, a little more often, and it started snowing on May 9th, which, I mean, living in South Florida my whole life, uh, any snow would be shocking, but snow in the middle of May, uh, I didn't know that was a thing that happened, so uh, that was delightful, actually. It was really, it was a really joyful uh, thing to have happened, so I'm glad I got to experience that. It doesn't normally happen. I've lived in New York my entire life. Uh, Adam's been here the past couple of years. Adam, I'm going to assume that you weren't out playing in the snow this week. I've been here for like six years now. Okay. But uh, much like Chris, I, you know, he said he wanted to get out and bike more. I opened my blinds on Saturday <laughs> or Sunday, whenever that was. That is something that I'd like to start doing more. And I did notice it was snowing. And I was like, Allie, come here. Bring the baby. Check this out. And she didn't care at all. So that was disappointing because it was really fun to see um, this snow, but probably not fun to be in. I was glad I was inside. Well, well it was, was it was it, it was the kind like, that like dissolved on impact? Yeah, was it was it, like the lightest yeah. flurry possible. Yeah. It, it but barely it counts. crazy. It was really windy where, where I was. Um, so it looked like the apocalypse, basically. The weirdest thing is it was just so sunny. It was like the sunniest day ever. And out of nowhere, it just started snowing. Oh, my God. My yeah. cat almost knocked down a glass of water next to my laptop. Jesus. This oh, is, gosh. <laughs> this is a bad start. Are you a first-time cat owner? It's a terrible combination. Cat, well, water, computer. She, I pushed her off the desk like four times in a row already. Oh, call animal services. Well, I picked her up and placed her on the floor. Oh, so you're into hyperbole now, Chris. Yeah. Okay. I'm just trying to paint a paint a picture for the audience. Okay. Today on the show, we are going to get into uh, the latest MLB proposal. It seems like we're kind of getting closer to negotiations happening. I know that they are meeting today. The MLB is on a conference call with owners. They uh, approved so we'll... the plan just now, actually. John Heyman just reported, as you said that, that they've approved the plan to take to the Players Association. Frank was on the conference call. There you go. So that. the next step is the MLB players and the MLB just in general, right? Is that what you're saying, Chris? Uh, it's up to the it's, – it's in the players. I mean, I don't want to say it's in the players' court because there's no guarantee that the owner's proposal is fair for the players, but now the proposal will be, will be taken to the players' union for negotiations and voting. Um, so hopefully – we, we get some movement. I'm less optimistic now than I was a week ago. All actually. right, so we'll get into that proposal. Um, I, I want to get into the uh, Javier Baez conundrum. Everyone on this podcast hates Javier Baez, except for me, it seems like. 
Uh, I have some stat cast stats that are just random things that I found and came across. I want to find out whether or not those things matter. And then your emails, fantasybaseball at cbsi.com, a little bit later on in the show. But this latest proposal that we heard is regular season beginning in early July, anywhere from 78 to 82 games. So that's less than what we've heard before. We've heard, you know, in the 100 range, maybe even a little bit more than that. Uh, Now it's around 80. So basically half a normal season that we're used to an expanded roster of 45 to 50 players, a universal DH in the national league Uh, teams would face opponents from their division and same geographic division in the opposite league. So the NL East would face uh, the teams within their division inside the National League East, and then also the American League East, and that's to you know keep teams within proximity in their geographic location. The Marlins are just going to get pummeled <laughs> all year. <laughs> yeah. Well, but what about the Orioles? Oh, the Orioles. Oh, the Orioles. Right, like, why, why are you picking on the Marlins? The Orioles were worse last yeah, year. Yeah, the Orioles are worse. Yeah. And they're worse now. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine watching all those Orioles-Marlins games this year. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, Scott, we haven't heard from Scotty Dubs yet today. Scott, how's it going? How was your weekend? And what do you think of this latest proposal? My weekend was unimportant. As for this proposal, <laughs> um, well, it'd be interesting to see if, if anything that uh, was in Ken Rosenthal's report from this weekend has changed with this owner uh, agreement that has been approved to present to the players. But, you know, we since it's happening in real time, we can't say that. Uh, but I think the biggest takeaways for me are that it's now, you know, we were thinking in terms of maybe a, an 100-game season, and now they're saying more like 80, which would mean probably they don't have to lean so heavily on double headers and maybe don't go in as deep into October. You know, some of those ideas that had been floated out there in the past may not may not come to fruition if that's the case. Um, the 45- to 50-man rosters through me Though uh, I reread it a couple times, and it's not clear if Ken Rosenthal meant 40-man rosters would expand to 45 or 50 as opposed to the 26-man active rosters expanding to that many. That would make more sense because if if owners are worried about how much this is going to cost them, they're not going to want to pay 45 to 50 players like major leaguers, I presume. Um, So, you know, we still got to find out exactly if that's what he meant, but that's my assumption right now. And... You know, it's looking more and more like if if this season ever does get off the ground, that spring training, the the scenario where every team's playing in their their spring training parks, that's not going to be the way it happens. Ken Rosenthal did talk that, uh, you know, maybe maybe like Toronto, maybe like the New York teams, there may be a couple teams that do have to play in their spring training venues at least to start out, but that's not going to be the league-wide plan so we can i can breathe a sigh of relief in terms of not having to redo all of my rankings for the scenario Both where everybody's Scott. playing in the cactus league yeah that would be bad yeah we don't have to move matt chapman ahead of nolan arenado for now uh what chris mentioned was you know just because the mlb has the they now have the approval to bring this proposal to uh the players association it doesn't mean that anything is happening yet so i don't want to you know, jump the gun and get too excited here. Ken Rosenthal also reporting right now, MLB owners have approved a proposal for a 2020 season to present to the players union sources tell the athletic a meeting expected between union and the league tomorrow. Jeff Passan also adds uh, now is when it starts to get serious and we'll know soon enough if baseball is coming back in 2020 uh, email of the day. 
I want to kind of tie this in together because we got an email from Tyler Fiddler who asked about this latest proposal. And he said, wondering your thoughts on the latest report from Ken Rosenthal about the 78 to 82 game season. How does this change your draft strategy in a head to head league, which I'm sure many people are wondering, uh, do pitchers or hitters become more valuable or will you just stick with your usual draft strategy? Do you target more proven safe players versus trying to gamble on someone's upside? Also, with the shortened season, do you think leagues should add one or two more bench spots to accommodate the condensed season? Adam, regarding you know this email, will an 80-game season change how you your your draft strategy in a head-to-head points league? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I I still am wrapping my head around this. The biggest difference, I think, is. Uh, you know, you're going to have a very short regular season. We have to figure out the best way to set up a league. Are we, I mean, I feel like Roto is kind of the way to go in a lot of instances or maybe shorten the amount of te- reduce the amount of teams that make the playoffs. I don't know. But I don't want like a really short regular season and then an extended postseason, right, in, in our fantasy leagues. This is really, really short. Um, so maybe, you, you know, I would say ordinarily you wouldn't take like injured players, but that's not going to be even a factor here there aren't going to be any injured players well there there will be some new injuries that happen in, in spring the, training yeah in the three-week yeah. spring training period and you know uh, whatever kind of injury one of those players suffers it's going to be a bigger percentage of Huge. the season that they miss so you're yeah. going to downgrade them even more that's um, obvious though so i would say yeah. no i would say no this isn't going to change my strategy as of now Chris, the one thing I would add about if you play in head-to-head points leagues and maybe even head-to-head categories league, any league that has a head-to-head aspect is that you can run double headers so that the season being condensed doesn't mean that, okay, um, you know, we're going to, instead of however many weeks uh, a season normally is in a head-to-head league, I believe it's, what, it's like over 20? 25? So instead of having like a, a 12 or 13 week season for for a head-to-head league if you run double headers where you're facing two different opponents at once you still kind of have that 25 26 uh game record this is gonna make uh fantasy baseball traditionalists mad but i'm totally fine with a shorter schedule i'm fine with the implications of a shorter schedule meaning that there's more randomness and more chaos uh, across the league, I I think that all makes for a better and more entertaining league. Every week matters a lot more. Uh, you can actually move up and down the rankings very quickly because there's not enough time for the really good teams uh, to separate. Okay, but, so, but we've got 13 weeks basically. So how are you even going to do that? Like, like how many regular season weeks do you want to have? Because we like to have two week playoffs, two week playoff rounds. Yeah, I think I mean two week playoffs. That's that's a non-starter. I Can't happen. Um, yeah. But we're you gonna have a ten? We're gonna have a nine week regular season? That's it's too short. That's yikes. why I think you should play double headers. But even if you play double headers, I mean, you don't have that much time for your team to to improve. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're not gonna make trades that are gonna impact your team as much. I don't know. Just like it's a not. You might be playing double headers, which means you have eighteen matchups. But that doesn't change the fact that it's a nine week regular season. Well, actually, there's really no reason at this point to be like, oh, we're not going to play the last week of the season. Like, you're going to, right? You're going to well, play 13. Should... So, 10-week regular season? Well, hmm. here's, the, here's sure. the other thing you could consider. It, if you 
shrink the number of teams that are going to the playoffs for your league. Let's say it's normally six, but instead you make it four. That'll buy you some extra weeks. But maybe the better way to go about it is to make the regular season is to actually make all but the four worst teams, put them all in the playoffs and have more of a tournament. Um, I don't know. That's that's worth thinking through. But I, it might make sense to kind of embrace the randomness in that regard. Yeah, yeah I think you could you could even do. There actually, th- this kind of creates all kinds of opportunities to try something new. Uh, Scott, which is it? The Carolina League that has two champions. Which minor league does that? There's one of them that has. I, I don't like know. A first half know. champion and a second half champion, or at least they used to. Maybe they don't anymore. I could try looking it up. There was a minor league, or or maybe a whole level that had. First half champion, second half champion. You could do something like that. You could do uh, the team that wins the first five weeks and then the team that wins the next five weeks or six versus six plays each other in week 13, something like that. Like, I think there's a lot of ways that you can do this that create a lot more fun, create a lot uh, of interest and, and can keep the entire league uh, interested through the end. I, I think it, it's an opportunity to... Oh. Uh, well, all right, what would you do? You're the commish. Give me your I kind of like idea the league. idea I just came up with. Highest scoring team <laughs> in the first half goes against the highest scoring team in the second half, or the two highest scoring teams in both uh, go into a four-team playoff at the end. Because I like that because it gives you the opportunity. Uh, if you're a low-scoring team in the first half, you've still got a chance to make a run in the second half. There's going to be so many more players this year. Like this year is going to be so weird for fantasy because there's going to be these expanded rosters and doubleheaders and all these, like, I think every top prospect who's at least made it to double A is probably going to be on an opening day roster at this point. If you're not going to have minor league games and you're going to have these giant rosters, I, well, I, I don't know. Do you, you really think the rosters are going to be as big as 45? To no, 50? I was just rereading, Scott. I think you're right. I think it's like the 40 man roster gets expanded, but sure. I think the 25 man roster is probably going to be like 30 oh. people. But they'll, well, so they'll have in, like a taxi squad. I, I just yeah. I just feel like the financial downside of activating that many prospects who may not even be ready is too great for a shortened season for I teams would be, to be willing to do that. I would be surprised if the active roster is only 30. It was 30. It was only 30 in 1995. Uh, I think 30 with for, the ability to really maneuver it a lot more. But on each particular night, you're not going to have more than 30 people active. Like, Oh, sure. But right? that, that's functionally the same thing. Well, even These guys aren't going to get pl- used in every game. And if they're playing fewer games in the same amount of time than we were thinking, then they're not, you know, that, that concern about... Uh, players having to bounce back quickly enough like how that's much the, how much that's of that the roster that, are they actually going to make use of yeah that's the of. part that confuses me uh the idea of only doing 81 games from july 1st on because typically we'd see uh, you know probably that, more that than would that. be about the same yeah that's about half a season's time yeah july so 1st on. it's it's kind of it, i'm kind of confused by this proposal but i i think you should i, I think either way given how weird it's going to be i, I think trying some new things out that's what i would do i would do a uh, top two point scores in the first half of the season top two point scores in the second half of the season go into a four-team playoff at the end I, that sounds so, like a lot of fun to me so you're eliminating the head-to-head aspect during the regular season altogether and just saving that for the playoffs you're just doing strict 
points accumulation. I mean, you could do it either way. You could do the team with the best record and the team with the most points. Uh, yeah, you could do one and one. Best yeah. one best record, first half, and then one highest most points. Most points first half, most points second half. Two best records beyond them at the end of the season. Like, okay. there's a lot of yeah. ways you can go. I just, I think leaning into how weird this season is going to be, leaning into how unpredictable, leaning into how tiny the sample sizes are i i think it makes sense to try like i think that gives more people an opportunity to compete in a league where uh everything's just gonna be bizarre yeah everything's well, going to be weird like across all different sports across all different fantasy sports i mean these are unforeseen circumstances so you see leagues like mlb presenting you know expanded rosters and more teams making the playoffs this season so i mean it's an opportunity to try new things for fantasy as well i mean in a shortened season why not why? if you've had an idea that you've wanted to try <laughs> before i don't even i but why i mean i i just feel like you could, those ideas are good but why not do them in a full season too I, well i i think I, it's a trial a trial run just yeah, like the universal guess, dh is going to be a trial run for baseball and right. by if the way, I were, they should absolutely make that real forever if i were setting up a league i would just do it's i'm assuming 13 weeks because regular season's 26 weeks as far as I remember so it's half of that I would do either a 10 10 week league with three rounds of playoffs for six teams or 11 weeks with two rounds of playoffs for four teams and I would do double headers like Frank says so you're playing two teams two other opponents uh each week um that's what I would do respect totally respect and think it's really interesting what I am but but the thing is like if you're going to the, the total points thing like what is the incentive to take a guy that gets injured in the in spring training you're like if you take a, a great player who gets injured in spring training cuz you still or have if you have an injury if you have a week one injury you're screwed like how are you, you going to score but the most points that's why you have the second half of the season uh, i i should point out that this only sounds like it's going to be a problem it, that needs to be addressed in weekly leagues right if you're in a daily league you could just run it the same way there's going to be enough of a of a pool there you should expand your rosters i think in in every league but the setup is still the same i mean you still have to decide if you're doing a daily league with weekly scoring you still have to decide how you want to set the incentive to expand a roster i don't i'm not getting that in Uh, in fantasy i get it in real life but under the assumption that guys aren't going to play as much but that doesn't i'm not sure i'm under that assumption anymore yeah, if they're if they're playing less games, they might not try to jam pack as many of them into the schedule. We might not see as many doubleheaders. We might not, you know, where they were talking about playing a hundred or more games in a however long span from July through October or November. They might have needed to jam pack the schedule and and you know put in some doubleheaders there. Whereas if they're trying to play eighty, they're probably trying to minimize some of that yeah. injury risk and. I also, risk in general. I think pitchers aren't going to be used as much. Like, I, I don't think we're going to see, especially maybe your Max Scherzers are going to go seven innings regularly, but I think especially for the first month or so of the season with a shorter spring training, uh, with guys having to ramp up, then ramp down, then ramp back up again, I, I think teams are going to be very careful with their starting pitchers. I think we're going to see a lot more relievers used. But e- even if that's the case, is that what does that mean? Why would that, why would expanded rosters help with that? It, it would give you maybe more adding lineup to spots ch- would help with that, but I it would know. give you more options to choose from for your pitchers. But- All right, guys, I want to move on to uh, Javier Baez because we teased this a little bit last week, and I didn't really get to say my piece on Javier Baez, and it's something that I did want to talk about. 
Uh, because it seems like, you know, he's getting no respect, this guy. You know, 2000. <laughs> oh, come on. You're too young for that. Yeah, it's true. Uh, <laughs> Name one Rodney Dangerfield movie. Um, moving on to Javier Baez. <laughs> no way. <laughs> you can't name one? No, I can't. I, I mean, look, most no of chance. them came out before I was born, but I still know them. <laughs> I've got nothing. I'm Who's sorry. The chair is creaking. It's driving me nuts. Wow. Did anybody I, else hear that? Chris Sounds like somebody's own. creeping up on me. Wow. Who's, whose mouse is clicking is the real question. <laughs> I think they <laughs> might have probably the same, the same person. <laughs> Chrissy clicks. <laughs> I, I, wait, so honestly, Frank, just if I was going to re- recommend one, Rod, if you consider Caddyshack a Rodney Dangerfield movie. Oh, it absolutely is. It's, I don't know that it's an anyone movie, but it, yeah, that one or Back to School is probably my second favorite. All right, Caddyshack. Just wrote it down. Now, I, knew, I knew the name of the movie. It's just I, there's so many movies I haven't seen. It's conversation for another day. Oh, young Frank. Uh, Javier Baez. I mentioned it at the top. Top 10 player in Roto in 2018. He was the third best shortstop, um, and he was a top 15 hitter overall uh, in that same season in 2018 where he hit 34 home runs, 101 runs scored, 111 RBI with 21 steals in 160 games. Uh, Last year was dinged up. He was dealing with some heel leg. He had a thumb issue last year uh, and still managed uh, 29 home runs, 89 runs scored, 85 RBI, and... 11 steals. I just don't understand all the... I, who hates him? I, yeah, I like him. Scott has him, Scott has him very low in his ranks. Like, I guess, I guess like, I'm the one who hates him. The podcast hates Giancarlo Stan. Javier Baez, like, <laughs> Scott still has him as like a top 50 player, right? Um, Let me check. I'm well, not, not sure in points. I, I hate Javier sure, Baez Sure, not in points. points. Yeah, he's, he's not... He He's takes a, a hit in points because his plate discipline, and I'm I'm tr- I'm done trying to figure out the, you know, who Javier Baez, like will the real Javier Baez stand up? Because I mean, his plate discipline is bad. It's always going to be bad, right? And yeah, the real Javier Baez stands up at the plate and swings at everything. He swings at everything, but for years I down I discounted him because of that, and I said, look, eventually, you know, this is going to affect him. It hasn't affected him. I mean, from 2015 through 2019, he's had between a 273 and 290 batting average. He's been incredibly consistent in that regard. And since he's become an everyday player, Joe Madden finally gave him that opportunity. He's been great the past so two seasons. My, my question with Javier Baez is, what for fantasy is he definitely great at? Like, top 10% in the fantasy player pool. I don't think, especially in Roto, it's kind of a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none profile. He's he's a good power hitter, but not an elite one. He's going to give you good RBI and run numbers, but not elite numbers. He's, he, he'll probably give you a decent batting average, and he's had one season, really, where he was a good steal source. Last season... Uh, he did miss some time. He played 141 games. But even if you extrapolate to 150 games, uh, he was only the number 40 hitter in Roto, uh, even at 150-game pace. And that's a, with a minimum of 400 plate appearances. So it's taking out guys like Aristides Aquino, who had a couple of good months. This is players who played pretty much every day. He was the number 40 uh, hitter. That's good. Um, I just think... 
2018 is more likely to be the outlier for his career. Uh, I don't know if he's a 20 stolen base guy ever again. And the raw power certainly exists for him to be a 40 homer guy. And I could conceive of a, of an outcome where he has an, an outlier season where he hits 40 home runs, but between the contact issues and a, uh, slightly less than ideal batted ball profile, I, I think you're probably just expecting 30, 30 ish home runs. And in today's major league environment, that's like, he's definitely not a bad player. I just think he doesn't stand out. So if he hits 280 with 30 home runs, 100 runs, 100 RBI, and 15 steals. That's a good player. That's a very good player. Yeah. No, that's, that's probably his best case scenario, though. Well, why isn't 2018 his best case scenario? He was the number seven hitter in fantasy in Roto. Number seven overall. He's and not. That's pretty close to the stat line Frank just gave. Uh, yeah, than... you see, the Frank, I think you undersold the runs in the RBIs. We have to get out of the 100-100 because, depending on what environment you live in, but based on last year's environment, 200 runs plus RBIs is actually not special. So I think that's that's an area that, for some reason, took a big hit last year for him. And I was just looking it up. Like, in, in 2018, the Cubs were ninth in scoring. In 2019, they were 10th in scoring. They obviously scored more runs because everyone scored more runs. Um, but for some reason, his pace, his 160-game pace, that's how many games he played in 2018, the batting average was similar, nine points difference. The home runs were exactly the same. The steals were lower, uh, 21 steals to 13 steals. Lower. But Quite the runs in RBIs dropped uh, by like 20 or something like that. So Here, I don't know the- what it was, but that is something where he probably has to be great in counting stats, not just not just good. But if he's going to be a real impact player, because Chris is right, he doesn't excel in anything. He would have to excel, I think, in runs plus RBIs, and he did that in 2018, and he didn't in 2019. I, I don't know that. I don't know that he. We should expect him to be somebody who makes a big contribution in runs. Period. I mean, they're talking about batting Bryant first, Rizzo second, Baez third, sure. But you're talking about a guy who had a 316 on base percentage last yeah. year, a 326 on base percentage two years ago, and who's going to be hitting behind him now? Not, not anyone great. A couple pretty good bats, but then the lower third of that lineup's pretty awful. Um, Shouldn't the RBIs go up though, Scott? Maybe to co- to compensate. I mean, maybe you can bang, maybe you can pencil him in for a hundred plus. The two biggest things that changed for Bias for me, and, you know, I, I think our podcast did hate him relative to the consensus yeah. last year. We all expected him to take a step back, and it wasn't as big as it could have been. It wasn't nearly as big as he could have been. I still think it's a risky profile, and I still think he has to be, he has to remain an outlier in BABIP and home run to fly ball rate to be a high-end fantasy contributor, and that's that's just, it's just risky to bank on that happening year after year. But putting that aside, the biggest things that changed for bias for me are the the stolen bases regressed to the barely double digit number we were used to seeing from him and and with a bad a really bad success rate that causes me to wonder if we can even count on those double digit steals. And then he's no longer eligible at second base and shortstop is just so star-studded that how does Baez stand out from the group? If if you see his profile as riskier than some of those others, as I do, you're not going to be too enthusiastic about taking him. Would he gain second base eligibility, though? 
No. Yeah, he didn't he's play. He didn't, be their everyday shorts. He didn't play there at all last year. Um, yeah. Also, he. Yeah, I mean, he so, jammed his something thumb. could happen. So I just want to make two more points real quick, then I'll shut up. He jammed his thumb sliding into second base, missed time in September. That's not good if you're banking on him for steals. And if he's going to hit third, that's even worse if you're banking on him for steals. And now I'm done. It. Yeah. So like. What is the difference between Marcus Simeon and Javier Baez? Well, Javier Baez has done it for two years, so that's part of it. But what Marcus Simeon did last year uh, was basically Javier Baez, and he's going a lot cheaper. Even you look at someone like a guy who's going much later is Marcelo Zuna, who the batting average was much lower, 243, although most of the uh, advanced stats that we typically lean on suggest he was pretty unlucky there uh, but he had 28 29 homers in 131 games with 12 steals he was only caught stealing twice uh, and now he's going to be hitting in the heart of a very good lineup so I just like Baez is a good player he's just not a player that I make a point of reaching for necessarily um, and somebody else always does unless yeah unless he can be a 20 steal guy um I, I just think he's he's fallen back to the pack and he's just very good and not great. The last point I'll add is the other shortstops that go in this range, and Scott, you have a lot of these guys ranked ahead of him. Uh, I think there's some risk as well. I mean, you have question marks with a lot of players uh, in this range. Glaber Torres, is he going to do what he did against the Orioles again this year? I read the numbers, what he did last season outside of facing Baltimore, and it was very pedestrian. Xander Bogarts loses one of the best bats in baseball from his lineup in Mookie Betts. Adalberto Mondesi coming off uh, a very serious injury, and he has OBP concerns himself for someone that you want to steal bases. Jonathan Villar, is he going to remain with the Marlins the entire season? Is he going to play every single day? Um, is he going to, where is he going to play? Is he going to play center field? Is he going to play middle infield? So I do think that there's risk involved with all of the play, all of the shortstops that are going in this third, fourth round range. Yeah, I mean, VR and Mondesi, it's it's a whole different scenario for them. They're hypothetically elite base dealers, and stolen bases are by far the scarcest commodity in the 5 by 5 categories, at least among hitters. So they get elevated to a level that's frankly ridiculous, but it's just the game you have to play because that's how, that's how standard Roto is set up. Stolen bases are that valuable right now, so... That's why they go ahead of Baez. Rest assured, I have them behind Baez in my head-to-head points ranking, even though points league isn't theoretically Baez's best format. Hey, I just wanted to add one thing I was wrong about. Uh, I mean, I figured I'd be right about this, but of course I was wrong. He stole six bases in 22 games batting third two years ago. So that has not mattered for him, historically. All right. I'm the high guy. I'm biased. It's fine. I'll take it. Uh, much better player in Roto. I Admittedly, the plate discipline is very bad for head-to-head points leagues, but he is my sixth-ranked shortstop, and Scott has him down at 13. So that's someone that we do disagree you know upon I'll move him up bit. to 11th. I can justify moving him yeah. ahead of Carlos Correa and Bo Bichette. I was just looking at that as we started this conversation. To me, the three are very close in my eyes, but Bichette and Correa tend to go so much later that I don't think it makes sense to have them ahead of Baez. So I'll move Baez up to 11th at least. Let's go, Scott. I've got some random stat cast stats that I want to get into and talk about whether or not they matter. We'll do that right after this quick break. 
All right, the first stat that I have here, CJ Crone's 10.6% barrels per plate appearance ranked sixth best in baseball last season. The only five hitters who ranked ahead of him in this category, Nelson Cruz, Gary Sanchez, Mike Trout, Miguel Sano, and Aaron Judge. 55 home runs over the last two seasons for CJ Crone. Uh, he had 25 last year in just 125 games. That's a 32 home run pace over 162 games. Scott, does this stat matter? Um, does it matter? It. Um, hmm. no. <laughs> <laughs> if I you have to think about it for that long, then it probably doesn't. <laughs> well, it it, it's not what I've noticed before. So I was having to come to grips with it on the spot. Um, was it was it unusual for CJ Crone to do that? No, he was in the top ten percent in the league in twenty eighteen, and uh, that was twelve point two percent barrel rate. I think this is per uh, bad per plate ball, appearance. Per yeah, I'm not sure why the numbers are different from the one you have. Uh, but yeah, I. I he he's been consistently above average at this over the last three seasons and was very good in 2018 as well. Last year he had a 469 slug and a 548 expected slug. That 548 expected slug was in the 91st percentile. His 21% strikeout rate was also the lowest it's been since 2016. So I think in a roto league as your corner infielder makes sense, but Adam, yeah. you seem well, disinterested. I in just CJ think it stinks that Crone's on the Tigers now. It's a bad, right. it's a bad ballpark. It's a terrible lineup. Yeah. And I imagine that CJ Crone is probably going to give you a three-week stretch where he's the man, and he's probably going to be pretty useless for a big. Like he's streaky, you know. I mean, he is what he is. I think at this point. Yeah, and just a, a moderate home run total is all you're really getting from. Yeah, him. right. Not getting much else. Yeah. All right, number two, Vlad Guerrero Jr. had the hardest hit ball in 2019 at 118.9 miles per hour off the bat. Uh, even with that, his 34% hard contact rate was well below league average. League average was 38%. His splits were very weird, struggled against left-handed pitching, hit 215 with a 643 OPS. He crushed them in the minors. Um, he hit 293 with an 822 OPS against right-handed pitching. That actually kind of makes me feel better about Vladimir Guerrero Jr., that he hit well against righties his first year in the bigs uh, and struggled against lefties, whereas you know he normally did perform well against them in the minor leagues. Uh, Chris, this stat about having the hardest hit ball last season, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., does this matter? I'll do you one better. Uh, he didn't only have the hardest hit ball in uh, Major League Baseball last season. He led Major League Baseball in batted balls over 115 miles per hour. Uh, he had eight of those. Aaron Judge was seventh. Nobody else had more than five. So, you know, the the kind of, I don't know, I'm trying to think of the word. I think heuristic is the right word, but I'll just use that one. Uh, the The assumption that I've always had is exit velocity is a proxy for raw power and potential. Uh, you can hit the ball really, really hard if you don't do it consistently, which was the issue for Vladimir Guerrero last season, then it's not really going to matter. But this is a sign of how incredibly high the uh, potential is for him. Uh, hit more 
really, really hard hit balls than anyone in baseball. That means he had a lot of really softly hit balls, which is a problem. And he talked about that. And uh, the Blue Jays pitching coach talked about that before the season, how his biggest issue, and we've talked about this as well, was he hit the ball on the ground too much. And he hit too many weak grounders in particular. Um, the, the key for him is going to be elevating the ball and finding more consistency. And what they talked about there was uh, he was getting a little fatigued late last season and was having trouble generating power with his legs. He was kind of falling in front of the ball, getting out in front of them and producing weak contact. So the key is going to be, one, that conditioning. And we don't know. Uh, it's not something where you can just look at him and say, well, he's in better shape now because, look, Vladimir Guerrero is always going to be a bigger guy. I don't think we're going to see a time when Vladimir Guerrero uh, is the fittest guy on the field. But that wasn't an issue for Miguel Cabrera in his prime. He was winning batting titles uh, and, and triple crowns while looking like one of the biggest guys on the field. So it's a question of whether he can get in shape for himself uh, and find that consistency. And this is why I've been willing to invest in him at his inflated, what I think is his inflated draft cost this year, uh, even if I won't do it in every draft. I want some of Vladimir Guerrero because if he does figure it out, he's going to be one of the best hitters in baseball. Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s ADP is currently 58.8, so... It is a tad inflated. Oh, it's but... way inflated. The most <laughs> likely outcome this year is Vladimir Guerrero is a giant bust at that price. Oh, I, he went so late. But before so he got hurt late. last year, he was being drafted in like the third round. Yeah, right. He went well, so yeah, late was, in the draft. Yeah, we that obviously last. didn't. You see, but that obviously didn't turn out so well. Him going that early. Right, like the most likely outcome is he's probably like a low eight hundreds OPS bat because that's what he showed us last year. Mm, yeah, I don't know. Why? Why would that be the most likely outcome though? I mean, he was a rookie, and why wouldn't he do better? I feel like he would do better. Well, that would be better. That would be uh, like an 820 OPS would be like a 50-point uh, swing for him. That would be an improvement. Oh, well, so, I guess I misinterpreted what you said. He went super late in the I, draft we did last week. He went the, the second-to-last pick of round seven. I was pretty surprised. That was that. a 10-teamer. Just to oh, out, so that was okay, then not, 69th yeah, pick. Yeah, still a little bit later, but yeah. you're right. Not, not that late. My bad. But, Might be. Yeah, so like. There, this is where it's like the 50th percentile outcome versus the 90th percentile outcome. His 90th percentile outcome uh, is what Juan Soto did last year, maybe with fewer steals. Like we're we're talking about, yeah, he's the man, the most productive, the most productive minor league season, arguably ever in 2018 at at the age of 19. So I'm in. Clearly, the upside is huge. It's it's Albert. It's peak it's, Albert Pujols. It, it's what is the absolute ceiling. It, it's what I call a blind faith kind of pick. Just having blind faith in the pedigree because the underlying stats don't really support him taking this big leap in production in his second season. And yet, you know, based on the pedigree, it's probably coming at some point. Will it be a second season? It's impossible to say. But there's reason to have blind faith in that happening. It's just. Everybody's paying up as if it will. It's it's different. Like Devers was the ultimate blind faith pick last year. It right. worked out swimmingly, but he was going much later than Vladimir Guerrero is now, so it was much easier to justify, I feel like. Where you at on him, yeah, Frank Stamps? A... What's Where up? Where you at on him? I like Vlad. I- I'm with Chris that I want a few shares of him just in case he does take that next step. And, and I think, you know, the way that Scott also labeled it is 
you know, that blind faith pick like Rafi Devers, just based on the on the prospect pedigree. So I think what he has to do most, and we heard a report of this in February that he was working to improve his launch angle. That's the biggest key for me because he's shown flashes of being able to hit the ball extremely hard, but 49% ground ball rate, 6.7 degree average launch angle, league average is 11 degrees. I mean, he has to raise that. He's got to hit more line drives. He's He has to hit more fly balls. That's just, that's the only way that Vlad's going to eventually reach his, his peak uh, potential is by doing that. And so um, there's already a report about it. So hopefully he does continue to take the next step. But I do want a few shares of him uh, here in 2020. Number three, Justin Smoke had the second biggest difference between batting average and expected batting average. He hit 208 with a 250 expected batting average. And he had the biggest difference between his slug and his expected slug. He had a 406 slugging percentage last year, a 495 expected slug. Scott. Does this matter when it comes to Justin Smoke? I think it matters. I mean, he, he was with the Blue Jays last year, right? And I feel yeah, like yeah. I should know that. Um, so it was a good place to hit already, but Miller Park, even better. And we've seen it turn we, We've seen it turn kind of forgotten players into stars in the past, Jesus Aguilar being a very recent example. And it wasn't too many years ago. Justin Smoke himself was a must-start player in fantasy with that 33-homer season, I believe it was. Yeah, 2018? Uh, 2017. 2017. And his expected stats, they weren't as good as they were then, but they were the best they've been otherwise. So he had, at least as far as underlying stats are concerned, his second-best season. And you look at the numbers, and, well, they weren't there. It could go a lot better for him this year. The biggest problem is... How much is he going to get to play? Uh, the Brewers signed Avisel Garcia for a lot more money. So I suspect he's going to play more just because of that. And then you have Ryan Braun bouncing back and forth between right field and, and first base as needed. And, you know, but, he, he deserves playing time, too, based on the way he's performed. So I'm, I'm not exactly sure how that's going to shake out. I think Smoke's going to be the loser in the end. But... The universal DH solves a lot of those problems. Oh, that's true. Because whole new world. The idea was Braun and Smoke would kind of split time at first base, uh, with maybe Braun playing some corner outfield occasionally. Uh, just put Braun at DH every day, and all of a sudden you've got an open first base job for Justin Smoke. You've got yeah. a corner infield spot for uh, Avisel Garcia, and everyone can play. And, that makes Justin Smoke and Avisel Garcia, I think, you know, I wrote about this a couple weeks ago when the Universal DH was first talked about. It makes it, both of them two of the biggest winners from this. Justin Smoke was one of my favorite sleeper first basemen to begin with, and this stat is a big part of it. And, uh, I, yeah, yeah, I really, I really like Justin Smoke a lot as a late-round sleeper. What's interesting, another interesting stat cast stat, he's been better with... He's been better against the shift over the last couple years than he has with no shift. So it's not even necessarily that the defense is hurting him. He is one of the slowest people uh, in professional baseball and maybe all professional sports. But <laughs> so that will knock down your expected stats differential a little bit, but it doesn't explain all of this. Yeah. No, that's that's good. I smoke does seem like a big winner of that DH universal DH scenario, and I probably need to move him up. Uh, he'd still be outside my top twenty first baseman, but he I could see him being in the top twenty five. And he absolutely has top twelve potential if everything goes right in that. Park I, I in probably 
I'd probably move him ahead of Aguilar with the with the Marlins. Yeah, Smokes 2017, where he hit 270, 38 home runs, 90 RBI, was really his standout season. Yeah. It's been downhill since then. He was the 10th best first baseman in Roto that year. He was the 11th best first baseman in points leagues. Something to consider in points leagues, he walks a ton. Yep. I mean, his plate discipline is not an issue. Um, and last year, 42% hard contact, 42% fly ball rate. So he does hit the ball hard. He puts the ball in the air. Um, I know something we spoke about recently was why aren't switch hitters more prevalent in the game anymore? The past two seasons, he cannot hit yeah. left-handed pitching. Oh, totally. And Jed Jerko can. And that's a guy that could take at-bats from him uh, against yeah. lefties. Sure. It's it's interesting. Or even Braun again. And, and really, I want to... Well, yeah, I would say Braun for sure, but you know the Universal DH does sort of solve that problem, so you have to go a little bit deeper. Uh, but I'm trying to figure out how I feel about this scheduling thing because on one hand, I feel like the the players that are in great ballparks win because if you play half your games in a great ballpark over a shorter period of time, like a much shorter period of time, I think that's an advantage, I think. No, because the... the, the rate is still the same yeah but like the it is but i'm also trying to wrap my head around like the other parks that they're playing like i don't know right i think the bigger thing was is we're gonna have to keep in mind that the brewers will be playing under this proposal half their games at miller park and then all of their games in the rest of the yeah al and, and NL the central, AL central so. has bad parks but they also have bad pitchers yeah it's 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 hard to find. Like I think the NL East teams are the clear winners from that proposal because they get to take uh, Fenway, Yankee Stadium, yes, uh, Rogers Center, and Camden in uh, as part of their park. So I, I think they're the winners. But and I, and the AOS I don't, gets to be in Coors Field, and the NOS probably has even like a bigger share of Coors Field. Then we'll see how it is. But I would imagine. Yeah. Nobody else getting Coors Field outside of those two divisions. And the NOS will have a higher share of Coors Field games than, than normal, except for the Rockies, who stay at 50%. But I'm trying to, I don't know. I've got, got a lot of wheels stirring up here. They're, they're kind of going backwards. <laughs> but they're sort I see that. I see. Throughout the, the show, Adam is just like staring off into the, the distance, the, the trying to figure thought, it all out. Yeah, the train of thought is, is still uh, boarding. <laughs> Uh, the fourth stat that I had here is actually regarding Justin Smoke's former teammate, Danny Jansen, who ranked, who had the third biggest difference between his batting average and expected batting average, and these had the sixth biggest difference between his slug and expected slug. So, a uh, 207 batting average, 247 expected, 360 slug, 418 expected. Uh, does hit a good amount of fly balls, makes harder contact than the league average. And he was crushing it in the spring, too. 20 spring training plate appearances. He was hitting 529 with four homers and 13 ribbies. So, for all you Roto players out there, second catcher, Danny Jansen. I'm I think fine. it matters. I've I've drafted him as my, my number one catcher if I waited in a points league. Um, he was awful for the first month. And we've talked about him quite a bit as a sleeper. But he was awful for the first month plus of the season. I think it was like the first 35 games. Uh, for him, he had not hit a home run. He had an OPS right around 500. Uh, and then from, yeah, okay, so it was May 17th, his first 31 games. He hadn't hit a home run, and he had a 447 OPS. He homered on two days in a row, or two games in a row, 
Uh, and then from that point on, he had like a, I think it was like an 800 OPS or something like that. So yeah, I think there's a lot to like about Danny Jansen as a sleeper. Uh, and if I'm waiting at catcher in a one catcher league, I'm fine with him being my option. Yeah, I, I am too. I don't even know that I put that much stock in the expected stats for him. I mean, part of it is just his numbers. His raw numbers were so bad as to the point of being unbelievable. I mean, the expected stats still aren't good. It's more about, I I think he's just changed his approach so significantly that he might be a completely different hitter when we see him again. That's that's the way the narrative was shaping up, and that's the way the production was shaping up in that tiny, what was it, three weeks of spring training that we saw players play. You know, understanding, of course, that we expected him to be good heading into last year, too, so we know the talent is there, and that big of an overhaul could be what allows him to tap into it. Yeah, before we get into uh, some some questions, and, and I had a few other ones that I wanted to get to. Maybe I'll maybe I'll put these together in an article. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, yeah, go for it. I think Make there's there's still some really interesting ones left to talk about. All right, see what I could do. See what I can make happen here. I just want to remind everyone, uh, fantasy football fans specifically, remember when you won your league with Ladanian Tomlinson in 2006 or Randy Moss in 2007? Or were you the one who bought, bought into Peyton Hillis after his big season? Well, this entire week, the Fantasy Football Today podcast is becoming Fantasy Football Yesterday. They're looking back at the best and worst seasons of the last 20-plus years in fantasy football, the Mount Rushmores at each position, the biggest breakouts and busts, and all the best memories from fantasy football since the late 90s. Relive it this week for five episodes with Fantasy Football Yesterday on the Fantasy Football Today podcast. Available wherever you find this podcast, Fantasy Baseball Today podcast. Adam, did I miss anything? That's no, you just missed basically the part your... where like my criteria for drafting the best fantasy seasons was so much, uh, so much better and more sophisticated than everybody else's. Which is why and I that's had... why you had one of the worst teams. Yeah, this is why I had the worst team because I was just drafting <laughs> with a, with something that people just can't understand. They just can't like it was just too advanced. You know, you just go too advanced and people didn't get it. No, I tried to draft not just on whoever scored the most fantasy points, but the players that dominated at their position the most, the players that outperformed their average draft position the most. And everybody's just like, oh, give me fantasy points. I'm like, all right, that's hard. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fun. We're, we're, we're going, doing some nostalgia on, on FFT all week. We're on HQ every day at noon. We've got... Uh, tons of articles as well, so uh, it's fun times. Go check it out. Fun times. This question comes from Luke in Anderson Island, Washington. Hey, Mike, Larry, Manny, and Pete. Anything? Uh, mm. 1997 MVPs and Cy Youngs? Uh, Does that make any sense? Maybe, but what I have is Mike Schmidt, Larry Boa, Manny Trio, and Pete Rose. Uh, were they Philadelphia Phillies yes. champions? Yeah. No, they were not the Phillies. I don't think they were Phillies at some point. I don't know when. Uh, with the discussion of playing with expanded rosters, how would you handle the number of lineup positions in dynasty leagues? Would you also expand rosters for the shortened season with the idea of quote going back to normal when there's God willing a normal season in 2021? What do you yeah. think, Scott? <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Well, yeah, we kind of talked about this a little earlier. Um, right. 
I'm not sure. I I still not sure. I I get why that would be necessary. Um. I okay. So it gives you more options, but why? I mean, you'll always take. You'll always like more options, right? Like, why? What makes it necessary to have more options this year? I guess I'm asking Chris because we were the ones going back and forth earlier. Uh, you're the guy who says that fantasy baseball should reflect real baseball as much as possible, Scott. I'll flip it back to you. Why shouldn't fantasy baseball reflect real baseball this year, Scott? Why aren't you being consistent? What doesn't Scott want the people of America to know? Well, I mean, obviously the the way you're setting a lineup and, and the moves you can make to account for injuries are far different than what they are in real life. Um, you can just add and drop a player if you lose a player to injury. You don't have to, you know, go to somebody on your bench or, or whatever. Uh, I, I don't see why it'd be any different. I don't see the need for it. And when you're talking a dynasty scenario specifically, that gets really sticky with the way you handle keepers once the season's over, if you're planning on going back and shrinking the rosters. I I just don't see... It just, it just seems more like an exploitive thing. Like, ah, I've always wanted to have extra players, and now this is a way I can get away with it if I run Well, yeah, but that's what, that's what MLB's doing. They've always wanted a, a universal DH. No, I, I'm saying it's different. It's different. But no, that's, but that's what I'm saying, is MLB oh, okay. is using... Uh, the the condensed schedule and all this to to backdoor the universal DH. But I understand why the need for the universal DH. If you're going to have that much league crossover, you don't want uh, you you want the AL teams to be able to use their DH spot. So. I actually do agree that you shouldn't change midstream in a in a dynasty league. Like if you want to include an extra roster spot or uh, an extra lineup spot at pitcher and hitter just to kind of account for the possibility of more players playing and, and everyone kind of having lower counting stats, that's fine. But I don't think you should make uh, dramatic changes to this for one season in a dynasty league in particular. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. Uh, uh, Mike, not- Larry, and Pete were on the 1980 Phillies. Who did you say Manny was? Manny Trio? Well, that team won the World Series. So, you might have been right, Chris. There you go. After being incredibly wrong about my first guess. <laughs> Manny Trio. This next one's from Luke is from the D. I have DJ LeMahieu and Javier Baez as my middle infield. Shout out to Lucas. Let's go. Javier Baez. My commission keeps trying to get me to trade him for Francisco Lindor. I think I would be giving up too much. I have Jonathan VR and... Castro on the bench. I assume that's Starlin Castro. Uh, do I trade up or stick with my roster? So it's a 10 team head to head league. Uh, if the question Lemayo is, would Baez? you trade LeMahieu and Javier Baez for Lindor? Yes. I would, I would try to do Baez and VR if you can make that happen. Either way, I'd do it. Yeah, especially in a 10 team I, league. I think Baez and VR, um, he just says head-to-head. He doesn't say whether it's points or categories because right. in categories, giving up VR might be it might be difficult to replace those steals. But yeah, I mean, this is particularly in a shallow league like this. This is, this is why two-for-one trades are, are uh, so reviled because you consistently make trades like that in a shallow league where you can just backfill off the waiver wire. You're going to... Yeah. Uh, put your team in a really good spot 
And so people don't often agree to two-for-one trades like that. It, it's worth a try. Bias for VR, unless you need the steals. That was the starting infield. Bias and VR the, for Lindor, sorry. Starting infield of the 1980 world champion Philadelphia yeah, Phillies. Yeah, yeah. That's a classic Frank two-for-one if you can pull that off. So uh, I, I support it, Lucas. Make Let's make it happen. <laughs> classic uh, this Frank last one comes from... One, I love it. Classic Frank two-for-one. Uh, you know, ask the people in my home league. Not too happy with me. Uh, this last one comes from Esteban from the Emerald City. Was listening to your trade etiquette pod and made me think of a controversial trade last year that the league still talks about as veto-worthy or not. 10-team keeper league. You can keep three players for three years at their draft slot plus one the following year. Free agent pickups during the season are allowed to be kept as your last pick the following year. The trade was involving a team that was pretty much out of it and thinking about the next season and a top three team at our tra- trade deadline. I, the top three team, had Ronald Acuna and Juan Soto as my two keepers for the next year, which would be this season, 2020. Um, and he goes on, but basically, he had too many players he could keep, so he decided to shop Fernando Tatis, who was also a keeper. He picked him up before the season started, so it would be a last-round pick. And he wound up trading Fernando Tatis Jr., and Mike Soroka for Francisco Lindor, Matt Chapman, and Jack Flaherty. What do you guys think of the trade? Does it just come down to how each manager values keepers? That's fine. Was it unfair? It's totally fine. Yeah, like that's, good trade. This is what a keeper league is is like. You, you're, you have two teams with two competing goals. Both of them were able to uh, achieve their goals in this trade. There, there's no issue with this. Um, yeah, that's, assuming Tatis and Soroka were really cheap keepers and Lindor, Chapman, and probably Flaherty were relatively expensive. Is that what we're... That that, what we're yeah, that's my assumption. Yeah. 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 These trades happen in my home keeper league all the time. Yeah. I looked this up before the show, and Vlad Guerrero Jr. was a 17th round keeper in my home league, and he was traded for Charlie Blackman, Clayton Kershaw, and Marcus Stroman last year. And sometimes there's, you know, there is some controversy over it because it's these fire sales happen every year. I'm trying to figure out a way that we can kind of limit them because it, something like this just seems a little egregious. But overall, I mean, I mean, just imagine the Milwaukee Brewers complaining that the Chicago Cubs traded a prospect for a oldest Chapman during a playoff race like that. That would be ridiculous. That's this is how keeper and dynasty leagues work. One team isn't trying to win this year. They're looking for future value. The other one has future value. They give up for current day value. There's absolutely nothing offensive about this trade, even a little bit. Should you limit how many players you can get back in a keeper trade, Chris? No. Oh, I can only get two of your best players in return for my Fernando Tatis, who's a great keeper. No, the only thing, the only rule I have in one of my leagues where I'm, I'm commissioner is, um, if you, and this is really just off season. If you make a trade in the off season, you have to keep the players involved, all of them. Uh, but beyond that, I have no like things. The whatever the player, it's better to get something than nothing, right? For a player you're not going to keep. Right. Yeah. I mean, and you can look at that from a real life perspective too, right? Like that's why if if a team knows they're not going to re-sign somebody, then. Yeah. And try and trade him at the deadline to get some some kind of prospect or young player. So I guess it makes sense. Just I've seen some crazy stuff go down in, in some of the leagues that I play in. Uh, but that'll do it 
We're done here today, boys. Happy Monday to everyone out there. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Tuesday. Bye-bye.